Our Old Testament reading this morning is from the book of Deuteronomy in the seventh chapter, beginning of verse 17 and continuing through verse 19. I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. You may say to yourselves, these nations are stronger than we are. How can we drive them out? But do not be afraid of them. Remember well what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt. You saw with your own eyes the great trials, the signs and wonders, the mighty hand and outstretched arm with which the Lord your God brought you out. The Lord your God will do the same to all the peoples you now fear. Here ends this reading. From God's holy word. Our New Testament reading this morning is from the book of Acts in the ninth chapter, beginning at verse 36 and continuing to verse 42. Again, I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. Now in Joppa, there was a disciple whose name was Tabitha which in Greek is Dorcas. She was devoted to good works and acts of charity. At that time, she became ill and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in a room upstairs. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples who heard that Peter was there sent two men to him with the request, please come to us without delay. So Peter got up and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the room upstairs. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Peter put all of them outside, and then he knelt down and prayed. He turned to the body and said, Tabitha, get up. Then she opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he showed her to be alive. This became known throughout Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. In the aftermath of Jesus' resurrection from the dead, he appeared alive to many people. Some 500, perhaps. We have been provided accounts in Scripture of him eating with his disciples. He walked alongside folks. He engaged In further preaching and teaching, more people believed in him and many of those who had already trusted in him, trusted him even more as a result of these post-resurrection appearances. (coughs) One of these people was his disciple, Simon Peter, the man who had vowed to defend Jesus to the last breath and then proceeded to deny even knowing him 
when thrice confronted. The personal interactions that Peter had with the risen master included the extension and reception of grace and forgiveness and a strengthening of the bonds between teacher and disciple with Jesus' ascension to the Father and the sending forth from there of the Holy Spirit, yet deeper faith and a greater magnitude of power were bestowed on Peter than ever before, just as Jesus had promised would take place. Witness what happens here in Joppa, a settlement northwest of Galilee, There, as in nearby Lydda, resided a community of believers in the lordship of Jesus. In the ninth chapter of Acts, Peter was traveling throughout that region of the Mideast, engaged in a ministry of evangelism and of healing. And it was here, we are told, of the manner in which he made whole a paralytic by the name of Aeneas. Interesting, isn't it, that we are furnished the name of the one he healed and the one whom he's about to heal. Perhaps it is on account of so we wouldn't confuse them with someone else at a later date. Maybe it was so people could fact check these accounts after they were recorded. Well, anyhow, friends of a Hebrew convert to Christianity by the name of Tabitha come to Peter after he has healed this Aeneas and request that he come with them right away. Time was of the essence. Presumably, they would explain it to him on the way. And what they related to him was a very sad tale indeed. Their friend had gotten sick, very sick, in fact, so sick that she was now dead. But if anyone could help, it was Peter. After all, he had just shown his ability to perform this great miracle of healing with Aeneas. Maybe there was something that he could do for Tabitha. Couldn't hurt to try, right? And Peter went with them straight away and found the scene as they had no doubt described it to him. In a room full of mourners was the body of their beloved Tabitha, a woman whose kindness and whose acts of generosity had endeared her to many in the town. She was the epitome of the Proverbs 31 woman. And it was some such folks as the widows whom Peter excused so that he could be alone then in the room, the upper room, with the deceased. When all had exited, Peter knelt and prayed. Could have been a brief prayer, could have been a lengthy one, we aren't told. But what we do know is that when he finished, Peter turned to the body and he ordered Tabitha to live Again, to rise. I I think the new revised standard version that we heard read this morning falls a bit flat in its translation here. Peter's command isn't simply for her to, to get up, 
as one would if one had been reclining at a table after a meal, he uses a, a word, a verb, that was describing living again. And Tabitha responds by opening her eyes, by seeing him, by sitting upright, and by reaching for that hand which he extends to her. When the story of Lazarus being raised by Jesus is related in the gospel according to John, the author tells us details about it to ensure that we know that the man in question was really dead. And it seems as if the same notion is being conveyed here. It's not as if Tabitha had been in a coma. As her friends recognized, she was dead. She was quite lifeless. This is not, then, a story of a great healing, but rather a story of a great restoration. And that had been something which, until the day of Pentecost, had been an exclusive uh, act that was reserved for Elijah in the Old Testament and Jesus in the New. With the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost to a multitude, however, God's promises were being fulfilled. Jesus told his disciples that they would indeed be doing works that were as great as those they had seen him do during their time together. And here was vivid proof of that. And as a result, our text this morning concludes, this became known throughout Joppa and many believed in the Lord. I would have to imagine that it would have been quite the powerful testimony to quite the powerful name. I hope, however, that this story isn't only about the power of the Spirit at work in Peter, once upon a time in Joppa. The book of Acts in which this story is a part is from its very beginning our story. It's the story of the church. It tells us how the first followers of Christ understood themselves to be both witnesses to and ministers of the gospel of Jesus. It tells us how his first followers went out sharing the good news in word and in deed. It tells us in this story what a difference we can make. What a difference if we are willing to pray and offer someone a hand. This is, after all, just what Jesus did for us. Jesus lent us a hand. Actually, he lent us both. His hands pierced by nails on the cross in order to save us from our lot, to redeem us from our sins. And followers of this Jesus are invited to be imitators of this Jesus, unafraid to sacrifice our own wants, desires, comforts for those of others in gratitude 
for what's been done for us. Growing up, I can remember that it was my mother who was home before and after school with me. Dad worked the 8 to 5.30 manufacturing job in the city. So it was dear old mom who, as I played with my neighborhood pals after school, picked me up when I fell off my bike in the driveway or hit the tree while on my sled at the bottom of the hill or when I stepped on a thorn bush or when I got hit in the head with a baseball or a hockey puck. I was, as it turned out, pretty good at being a boy. And when she came to my aid and gave me a hand up, she usually didn't give me a lecture about what I did wrong or how I could have avoided whatever catastrophe of the day happened to me. She could have been more overprotective as I was her only surviving child. But usually the most she would say was something like, please try to be a bit more careful. On Mother's Day, or on any other of the 364 other days of the year, that seems to me not such a bad model for us as children of God. After all, time and again, we read in the biblical accounts that God has come to his people with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. He has gotten them out of many a scrape, some of their own making and some not. God has been attentive to the cries and the bumps and the bruises of his children and has come to their aid, helping them as they found themselves in yet another fine mess. To be willing to respond, to go when, where, and as needed, to meet the suffering, the hurting, the lost, where they are, and to extend a helping hand in the name and through the power of Jesus, that is something that should probably be in our spiritual DNA, but which we may need to be reminded that we ought to be about every once and again, to comfort, to support, to heal, and to give an encouraging word. These are the sorts of things that are done in imitation of the one in whose likeness we were created, the one who continues to care for us, lending us a hand, each and every day. We have all experienced the mighty hand of God reaching down to us in baptism, or if we were too young to know it then, at confirmation or at some other moment when we became aware of the truth of the scriptures and affirmed that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. We've also experienced it in other less dramatic encounters, and we regularly experience it indirectly uh, via the hand of someone else, an individual or even an institution, reaching out to us in our time of physical or financial or spiritual need. Everyone, even the most self-declared independent person in the world has been in need ourselves after all we aren't born with the innate ability to survive 
as some species are. Rather, we are completely at the mercy of another to care for us as infants and as toddlers, even though we are taught how to become more self-sufficient as we grow up, we never reach an age when we don't need God. Maybe we weren't so fortunate to have a caring mom or grandma who would drop what they were doing to rush to our aid. Maybe we didn't know the capable wife we read of in Proverbs 31, who among everything else, reaches out her hand to the needy, it says. Yet, as people of the covenant, we have a partner who is dedicated to us and to helping us get through all the trials that we face in this life and beyond. God is forever reaching out his hand to help in ways that range from the seemingly trivial to those experienced firsthand by Tabitha and Lazarus, by the widow's son and the Jewish official's daughter. Because we are so cared for, so loved, so rescued and redeemed, we too have the capacity for caring and loving the other, for lending a hand when needed. And for that we may truly say, thanks be to God, and amen.